One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sophie. I'm Yelly. And this is She's All Fat. The podcast for fat positivity, radical self-love, and chill vibes only. You might have noticed we're on a quick between seasons break. We'll be back super soon, but for now, we want to pop this whole episode back into your feeds. This episode was the premiere of season four, the first season we really changed things up with the pod. It's aptly named Fat Changes. Get your tissues out, though, because if you don't remember, it's a tearjerker. <laughs> I procrastinated writing this script for as long as humanly possible. I did lots of other work for the podcast. I told myself I needed to take a nap to rest up before writing it. I told myself I needed to watch another episode of Criminal Minds before writing it. I whined to Maria and Lynn that I couldn't do it. I was afraid of it, afraid of starting. Because when I really started writing this episode, it meant that the change was happening. The podcast is changing this season and change is scary because I always feel like I can fail at change somehow. Change means endings and beginnings and the unknown and the unknown is scary and personal and it makes you feel exposed and I never pack quite the right things in my purse for every situation and every change no matter how many glossy zip bags I fill with spare panty liners and a travel hairbrush and a tied to go pen and scrunchies to share and at least three CBD pens. You can't really control change. Change happens and all you can do is step into it and say some motivational phrases and hope that after a while you can say it was all for the best. Well, Fatmily, let's lean into it. Let's take some deep breaths and face this change and borrow some TV mantras to help us muddle through it from television shows where there's always a three-act arc and a satisfying ending, where the bad guy is usually captured after 42 minutes or the football team comes together to learn a lesson and Changes are either temporary or caused by an acting versus producer salary dispute. Everything's simpler in that world. So, clear, clear eyes, eyes, full heart, can't, can't lose. lose. I'm a smart, strong, strong sensual, sensual woman. woman. Oh God. The truth is out there. Wheels, Wheels up in 20. Welcome to the OC, Welcome to the OC bitch. bitch. This is how it's done in Orange County. 
This week, in our first episode of Season 4, Sophie on the Street, we're talking about change. As a Scorpio with Scorpio Rising, I'm a full-on water sign who has huge emotions and needs time and space to process changes. April is an Aries, and she's a real big Aries, if in case you were wondering. So I wanted to explore how my fear of change might be related to, you know, the things we talk about on this podcast. Fat stuff. So how does my relationship with my body reflect my relationship with change? And how can I get rid of that freaking fear? Still don't know what I was waiting for. For a long time, I didn't feel ownership of some of the biggest changes in my life. Changes that the culture at large and everyone around me told me I should be able to control. The changes in my body and in my weight in particular. I felt that when I lost weight and gained it back over and over again, what I now know is called yo-yo dieting and bouts of restriction and binging, I was failing. And it wasn't just an aesthetic failure, it was a failure of control over myself. And if I just tried harder, I could make the change to my body and that would make the change to my life. So where did I get that message? Don't you get it? What is it going to take for you to make that change? Quit smoking. Take the stairs instead of the elevator. Go for a walk. Drive past a drive-through. Make a change. Do something. Recognize those voices? That's the cast and crew of The Biggest Loser, a show that lasted 17 seasons on NBC and a show I used to watch religiously in college. The Biggest Loser showed people who were at their lowest point, which was also their highest weight, and uh, screamed at them until they were thinner. Do it, Jen. Okay. Three, two, one, go! We'll do it again. Everything inspirational about The Biggest Loser comes from the idea that changing your body is a direct result of the amount of work and sweat and tears and willpower you put into it. If your body doesn't change, that's a result of not caring enough about running around with your grandkids in a backyard when you're old or something. Change your body, change your life. And people love that message. I loved it for a long time. It's a nice narrative to tell ourselves that we can control our lives and our bodies with just enough sweat, willpower, and a little bit of pixie dust. Love, get out here, Rachel! We know now that this isn't true, that diets don't work, that almost everyone who was on The Biggest Loser gained back all the weight that they lost and more, and their levels of leptin or whatever never recovered. But still, it's really hard to get rid of that idea. It's really addictive to view everything as a choice, as simply a matter of self-control. It's so empowering to think of the world as something that can be affected if only we had enough self-control. What a centrist view, honestly. And listen, it's not just weight loss trauma porn that's guilty of this oversimplification. Overcoming the obstacle of your body through pure grit and therefore changing everything about your life is an easy way to give a character a hero's journey and all sorts of media narratives from rom-coms to dramas to cartoons. It's also a great excuse for a makeover montage, and you know I do love those. Cher's main thrill in life is a makeover, okay? It gives her a sense of control in a world full of chaos. (laughs) 
favorite childhood movies, Disney's Hercules, the overly strong but undisciplined main character works out until he's ready to rescue any DID, damsel in distress, because his biceps are rippling from his control. Once he controls his body, he has the chance to learn about the most important muscle of all, his heart. Father, this is the moment I've always dreamed of, but a life without Meg, even an immortal life, would be empty. I... I wish to stay on Earth with her. I finally know where I belong. How sweet. There's also this terrifying Lifetime-esque Jennifer Lopez vehicle called Enough that I have watched many times. In it, a pixie-haired J-Lo trains her way into being able to fight her abusive husband to death. That's right, she fights her abusive husband to death. It's not that I don't love the revenge fantasy of the film, it's just that it kind of sneakily implies that if only other battered women were as strong and persistent as J-Lo, if only they were willing to take boxing lessons and commit murder, they too could be free or something. Keep your balance. You ready? Yes. You sure? Uh Uh-huh. Can you lose? No. Can he hurt you? No. Even though he's bigger? He's a lot bigger. Even though he's stronger? He's a lot stronger. See the problem here? The thesis of this kind of movie, of a lot of media, is if you change your body, you will change your life. Your body is a result of your intentional choices, and therefore your outside reflects your inside, and your outside will also determine everything else about your life. And it's possible to do that. Now that I don't see my body as a failure, and I have more compassion for myself, I've come around to this wild idea that Maybe, just maybe, my body isn't a direct reflection of my willpower, and our control or lack thereof over our bodies doesn't determine our lives. Maybe, in fact, it's the other way around, that changes in our life might affect changes in our body. I wonder if that happens to anyone else. Time for news organizations to roll out those before and after photos to show how much our departing president has aged. It's been dubbed the White House effect, though Michelle Obama seems immune. The only way you can date her in photos is by looking at me. Well, there's one example. I'm definitely not the president, but I've seen my body change in times of stress. What if sometimes change just freaking happens, and sometimes you can't control change in general? Sometimes you can't control anything. Ugh, I don't know about that. It's pretty scary to think maybe we don't have much control over anything, over change, and change can just happen. That's the whole problem that I'm trying to explore in this episode, right? That I'm scared of change. I think at this point we need to bring in an expert on bodies and stress and change and food. <laughs> Luckily, I found friend of the pod and family member Whitney Catalano, a food freedom dietitian. 
Yeah, so my name is Whitney Catalano. I'm a food freedom dietitian. Love it when I get things right. Basically, I help people heal their relationship with binge eating and with food, um, heal their body image as well, and uh, do a lot of mental health work. So help people um, make peace with their inner bully is what I like to say. Sounds pretty cool, huh? I asked Whitney what she thought. I mean, especially in America or in the U.S., we have such a individualistic mindset and approach to how we do everything from, you know, our obsession with being busy and this workaholic culture to this obsession with weight loss and trying to control the food and cut out all these foods and all of this stuff. People are quick to notice or try to make um, connections that aren't necessarily there, which is like, oh, I need to control X, Y, and Z because all these other things are happening in my life, but I'm not willing to actually face and like deal with and manage and, and figure out what's going on with these other aspects. And so I'm going to try to control my body instead, or I'm going to try to control my food instead. And when your body starts to change because yeah, maybe you're stressed out, maybe you're aging and your hormones are changing, maybe um, something happened, like it's hard to say, you know, there's so many reasons why the body changes. Okay, cool. So Whitney agrees with me. Maybe part of the reason I'm so scared of this change and of change in general is that I've become inundated with the cultural idea that changes in your body are a result of lack of self-control, even though I think that cultural idea is fake. Whatever you want. What did you hear about the freshman 15 before you came to college? Hmm. How about the freshman 15? There's a pretty widespread idea about freshmen going to college, gaining 15 pounds from a sudden bacchanalia of pizza and beer and lax morals with all the other pimply and yet nubile 18-year-olds around. Generally, I would say that the freshman 15 is seen as a phenomenon caused by lack of self-control as well as ignorance about how to control yourself or act as an adult. If we're going by our new idea, uh, perhaps the freshman 15 is actually a result of stress or changes in circumstance. Like, hello, going to a whole new environment and the indignity of locking yourself out of your room after a shower for the first time? It gets a lot less embarrassing after the second time or you just stop caring. At least, um, that's what I've heard. Anyways, the freshman 15 thing. What does Whitney think about that? Just watching how people are still growing and changing between 18 and, like, 22, 24, you know, it's very interesting because like puberty is still kind of happening. Yeah. You're not in the, in the crux of puberty, that like really awkward sort of middle school, early high school stage of it all. But like, you're still growing, you're still changing. Your body is still growing up. You're still kind of like developing your hormones. Yeah. You're maybe you're learning how to eat for the first time without your parents making you every meal or maybe you're you know whatever your lifestyle changes when you go to college and you're probably also drinking and um you know eating in the pizza in the middle of the night like there are all these things that people like warn against these behavioral things but I also like to say you know it's okay to let your body just change like it's okay to be 18 be 19 and your body is still changing you're still kind of filling out and you're still like becoming the adult version of yourself And I don't think that 
this is as behavioral as like, oh my gosh, beware of the freshman 15 as it, like, I don't think that we need to be making it as big of a deal as it is. Yeah. A couple of the studies that I found said basically like, uh, people gain like maybe three pounds freshman year because they eat snacks more. And I honestly, cause I think, I think most of people who gain weight, like if it feels significant your freshman year, at least from what I observed, it's from beer. It's cause all of a right. sudden you're <laughs> drinking a lot of beer, right. which like, it's like a huge, you know, you, if you didn't change anything else, but all of a sudden you were drinking a bunch of beer, like that's going to increase your caloric intake without much notice. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But like, I think that's, (laughs) that's what I noticed. It's that like the people who complained the most about that were the people who were partying a lot. And I was like, well, that's, that's probably the change in your life, right? Like that's the main, (laughs) the main thing. But like, yeah, most studies that I have found just say like, uh, kind of hard to tell if this is real. Like, don't really know why people talk about (laughs) this that much. Yeah. I don't really know where it came from. Like I, Um, I also think it's really interesting, too, because the people who talked about it the most when I was in college were the people who were, like myself, dieting. Yeah. And that we know that dieting is a predictor for weight gain um, and not weight loss. So, hi. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I think it's confusing when we have this sort of messaging and then we try to study if something's actually happening because... It's hard to tell if something's like self-fulfilling prophecy, if it's just like kids drinking a lot of beer, if it's, you know, like it's just, it's, it's so challenging to kind of weed through all of this and actually understand like what's going on. So maybe the freshman 15 doesn't even really exist. Lynn, our junior producer is in college right now, and she did some reporting of her own to look into this idea. So when you were first um, coming to college and then once you first got to college, was there anything that you heard about weight or weight changes that you were particularly concerned about? I feel like when I was coming to college, I just knew from like the cultural zeitgeist, if you will, um, that the freshman 15 was something that people were worried about and scared about. Um, I personally hadn't had anyone say, like, warn me about it, but the more that you spent time in dining halls or just around different people and, like, became friends, I feel like people would always say, like, oh, I've, like, gained so much weight or, like, oh, I feel so fat today or things like that. Um, and there's really a lot of attention, I feel like, also paid to, like, dessert food just because it's always at any meal and people would be like, oh, like, I don't need one today or I shouldn't have one or I'm going to be bad and like have one. And I was just like, this is really annoying to me. Um, but I personally, um, didn't feel like I was thinking about that until these things would come up and I'd just be like, Oh my God, like we don't need this. So yeah. So our school has started putting calorie counts on every single item that they have, which is a new thing for them, which really annoys me. Um, and yesterday I was feeling a bit hungry before dinner and I knew it would be a while till I would eat. So I picked out a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Um, and when I got back to the library, I put it down on the desk, turn it face up. And the first thing I see was in like really big font compared to everything else, like calories, 600. And my first thought was just get out of my face. 
Like, I don't care. Like, it's a peanut butter and jelly. Like, let me live my life. So those are my thoughts. Maybe it's more complicated than this. Maybe when people start to lose control, they try to create a narrative, a broader cultural statement, because that's something they can control or identify with or, or feel normal if they're a part of that. Really, the biggest truth we can take away from the term freshman 15 is that people in general are afraid of getting fat and uh, they love silly alliterative phrases about it. When I got to this point in our research for this episode, I started thinking about all the times in my life I've wanted to change my life by changing my body and failed, and felt like I'd never change my life as a result. Like when I was eight and on Jenny Craig, or when I was 12 and on Weight Watchers, or 21 and on HCG. Good times when I failed over and over to conquer the obstacle of my body. I started thinking about all the times my life was changing and those outside changes made things change in my body. Like both times I started serious relationships and I was happy and I gained some weight. Or when I started a new job and I was so tired and too stressed to figure out how to make sure I ate dinner every night so I lost some weight. I started to think that feeling a need to be so much in control kind of sucks. Whitney? Absolutely. Most of the work that I do with my clients is about control. Learning early on that they had to control their bodies from whatever age, you know, this can start so young. Um, Learning that they had to control their bodies because their parents were controlling their bodies and everyone around them was trying to control their bodies. And it's like, they didn't understand why it wasn't working. And so for most of my clients, if not all, there's this kind of undertone of if I can't even control my body, then like, I, what am I, I can't do anything. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not worthy enough and I'm only worthy when I'm able to control my body, when I'm able to control myself around food, when I'm able to control X, Y, and Z. The other thing that I see and the reason why the two get so intertwined as well is that when you make that association, when you have those two things really like connected to each other, then when you feel out of control in other areas of your life, you may have a tendency to then project all of your feelings of out of control onto your body. So that's when, you know, the dieting becomes a distraction and a coping mechanism. And it's like, we get hooked on dieting. We get hooked on prom- that promise of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to like get so thin and I'm going to have this amazing life and I'm going to get everything. All my problems are going to go away. Everything's going to be under control. And like, I'm going to fall in love and like all this stuff. And it's just so unrealistic. And, and, but, but you can't tell you're in tunnel vision and you're trying so hard to like grasp for, for control, but we are reaching towards the one thing that we really don't have control over. So listen, you're a listener of the pod. You know that I've given up on the whole dieting thing. We're past that. But I'm starting to realize that my feelings of control and fear and body change are pretty similar to this feeling of wanting to be able to control everything about this season. And uh, maybe that's bad. (laughs) But 
it's scary to give up on wanting to be able to control things. It's scary to face this season with the realization that some things, in fact, may be entirely out of my control. So when I realized that, I did what I always do when I'm facing something scary. I went to go talk to my mommy. My mom is the best. So is April's mom. We've talked about how hard we stay on our moms many times before. When I visited my mom this time, on this day, we started working on a puzzle, which is something we've done together a lot. It's a great way to talk, doing a puzzle. There's something to do with your hands and with your eyes and a collaborative goal, and you can talk without being too embarrassed about things. Because I like the umbrellas. I think they're pretty. And the cabs... There's a lot of them there. Mm -hmm. When we did this interview, it was midday, and we sat at the dining room table to do the puzzle. The family cats we got my sophomore year of high school, Felix and Millie, were sleeping to the side, and Felix was snoring really loudly. All the trinkets and decorations my mom has collected over the years from all the wonderful trips we've taken are on the shelves to one side of us. It's nice to be among the things that I know my mom treasures, things that are comforting and familiar. The puzzle we're working on is a cute New York street scene, and it immediately reminded us of our trips to New York. It's pretty. It's springtime in New York in the picture. Mm-hmm. Have we ever been to New York in springtime? Yeah, of course we have. You well, know we have. Well, most of my memories in New York are winter. No, we were there. Or summer. Well, that just might be because New York in spring is looks like every other time. <laughs> Dirty, loud. <laughs> it's not like it is in the movies where it's so clean and pretty. It's not like that. What's one of your favorite times we went to New York? Oh, my goodness. When you were being homeschooled and we could... We would go stand in the tickets line and get tickets for something. And then we would just wander about with our guides and find small museums. That was fun. Uh-huh. But I remember going to New York for shows. I remember we went a bunch for cats, obviously, because Isabel was obsessed with cats. Yeah, I think three times. And I remember one time we went in for my birthday to Okay, see... okay. Enough dawdling around on memory lane. I wanted to know what my mom's thoughts were about body and change and control. We had to leave. And once we went to the plaza for tea with your friend. So in this episode, we're talking about times that we've gone through changes and then how the changes in our life affected change in our body instead of a lot of times the cultural narrative is the other way around, that if you change your body, you'll change your life. Oh, that's true. But I've found in my life it's often the other way, Mm -hmm. that a big change in my life creates a change in my body somehow, Mm -hmm. ends up being reflected in my body. So far she seemed to agree, but she was very focused on getting that yellow cab put together on the puzzle. I pushed a little harder because I am an investigative reporter. Do you have times when that's happened to you? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, there was one time in my life when I was under a great deal of stress. Everything was very uncertain. And 
I basically stopped eating. It was if I ate, my stomach was very upset and it, it actually hurt to eat. So I ate very little. And I think I dropped 15 pounds in about two and a half weeks, maybe three weeks. Jeez, that's not healthy. No. And all I got were compliments on how good I looked. Not one person asked me, are you okay? Even though most people knew what was going on in my life. So if it's not just control, then what's going on in the body during times of a lot of stress? Let's ask Whitney. Can you talk a little bit about like what interior or like physical, biochemical, whatever changes happen, like when someone's going through a life change of some sort? Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the biggest ones and probably the most simplistic one that anyone would be able to understand is um, stress causes inflammation, right? Like we all know that. A lot of times what I will see happen is that someone is particularly stressed in their life and maybe it's like a loss of a family member or they're dealing with something in their family or job stuff or, you know, whatever it is, there's something going on that's causing a great deal of stress. They start really retaining water. Maybe they start putting on weight. Sleep gets worse, which also has an effect on all of the body in itself. Um, It's going to affect your serotonin production. It's going to affect your gut health. It's going to affect like so many areas, it's going to affect your hormones and your ability to um, like produce the hormones that you need. Your estrogen is going to be affected. Your progesterone is going to be affected. Like we've got all of these things to consider, right? So one of the things that I find very interesting is that people come in and they're freaking out about all of this stuff. And then they try to respond with like more stress and more control as a way of getting control. And that just makes the problem so much worse. All right. That makes sense. Back to my mom. You know, they might ask how, how things were going in my life, but then they say, yeah, but you look so great. And I think there wasn't an inch of me that felt like I looked great because everything was tense and not feeling good. What what did you think when people said that? Did it make when sometimes when that's happened to me, it makes me feel like lonely because mm-hmm. it means they don't pay, they don't know really at all, or they're not thinking about my experience. Yeah, I felt very alone because you know you think because you want people to care about you, and if they cared about you, you'd think they'd say, "Geez, this is terrible. What's happened to you?" But that's not what they said. Okay, here was a new angle. It makes sense that if people are viewing physical change as a result of willpower or effort, as we know people do in diet culture, because I just spent the first half of the episode proving it, they would have no problem reacting to your physical changes as if they're either an accomplishment or a failure. Isn't that a terrible little connection? Thinness is seen as such an all-important thing that getting thinner must be an accomplishment, even when it's really a result of a big, stressful, bad change. That fucking sucks. (laughs) Let's hear what Whitney had to say about this. Like, do you see that kind of confusing effect, um, messing up people's relationship with food? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the things that can be kind of frustrating is this idea that all weight loss is good um, and how problematic that can be because you really don't know what's going on in someone's life. And so assuming that um, 
that weight, all weight loss is good can be really harmful to someone because for example, like your mom, she doesn't like to, or she has an aversion to food when, um, she's stressed out. Some people, maybe they're having a gut issue. So I've worked with clients who are having like very severe IBS or they're having their, you know, something's going on in the gut that we, they haven't figured out with a doctor yet. And it's physically painful for them to eat and they're terrified of food. And yeah, they start dropping weight and that becomes concerning because it's like, well, you're not eating and it's not, this isn't like a thing to be celebrated. This is something that like they're in so much pain and they're struggling so much So just the idea that we should even, that it's even okay to comment on people's bodies is problematic. Okay, we've gotten into it. Let's get further into it. Because really, I don't think we've answered the question, why do I feel like I can fail a change? It doesn't even make sense. So let's talk about it with my mommy. We're going to get really into it here, so hang on to your puzzle pieces, folks. Let's hear what my mom has to say, and then let's hear what Whitney has to say about the same things. And we're going to do that in a little pastiche. That's coming up right after the break. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, so here we are about to get real. We're talking to my mom about control and weight, and we've heard about her experience, and now we're going to talk about how my and her experiences intersect. We're going to get into some feelings here about how my sense of control or lack thereof over my weight might be related to my childhood or whatever. Therapy is great, y'all. Warning, I do cry, so if you don't like feelings because you're an Aries like April and you don't want me to hug you ever, then um, you should skip ahead. Is there a certain spot where your body feels most comfortable? I mean, I don't look at, I don't weigh myself, I don't have a scale there's a certain size where I don't feel hungry Mm -hmm. and I feel satisfied but then there's a smaller size where um I'm actually more comfortable in my body doing things Mm -hmm. but I might not always I might feel hungry isn't exactly the right word but never full do you know what I'm saying no oh (laughs) well I was only there for about couple months in eighth grade and I was still told I was too fat who was telling you that the doctor oh 
And then I decided I couldn't be hungry all the time anymore. Right. But now you know you can be pretty at any size, right? Of course you can. Yes. Well, I know that for me, I always thought of you as thin. Mm-hmm. And so it was hard for me when I gained weight in times of stress because I thought, why am I not like mom? Oh, sweetheart. I love you. Love you too. And we feel like there is something wrong with me because I'd noticed when you were stressed, you'd lose weight. And I was like mm. kind of jealous of that. Or I thought, mm. why is what's wrong with me that I gain weight? But you know, your body type is not my body type. I know, but you're my mom. Can't help that. <laughs> Just happened that way. I, I understand what you're saying. And you think that your mom is, what your mom does is the truth of life. Yeah. But you're old enough now that you know that's not true. It's my, just the way my body was. And your body is, comes from a different gene pool. <laughs> and it comes from a different, there are different weight stories in that gene pool than in my gene pool. Yeah. Just felt that way at yeah. the time, you know. I don't know. It contributed to my feeling that my body was unruly or out of control. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Because I felt that it wasn't reacting the way I saw your body react mm-hmm. to things, you know? Well, it would have helped if you could have had role models around that looked more like you. Yeah. But that wasn't in the cards. Yeah. I don't know that role model's the right word, but you didn't have that kind no, of... No, I think when I first found body positivity... I followed a bunch of people on Instagram who I felt looked like me. Really? Yeah, and that really changed my self-image because I thought, oh, well, there, I can see them doing this or doing that, and yeah. then I could see myself doing it more easily, you know? Yeah. Do you see or hear from people who have that kind of discrepancy between themselves and the people in their family and like how that affects them? Absolutely. I think that what you experienced is very interesting and probably pretty common where it's like parents just don't know how to advocate and they're doing their best and they're really just like trying to give you the best life possible and trying to trying to figure it out but then it's like when a doctor says something how do you not believe it you know yeah but it's interesting because we do become aware when we don't look like the people who we're supposed to fit in with right Close your eyes. especially when you're going through puberty and you're developing your identity this is really where body image issues start to become very very prominent and like very, very, um, it it impacts the whole life. Like this is where body image issues really start to impact your entire life because you're developing your identity. You are in social situations and then maybe you go home and you don't even look like your family there. And so if you look different than the people that you go to school with, or you look different than the people that you see on TV, and then you also go home and you look different from your family, it's like that I can imagine would be incredibly painful and incredibly confusing because it's like, well, what is wrong with me? Like, why don't I look like them? And how can I fix it? And then we're given these messages that you can fix it. 
when in reality, yeah. like trying to fix that under 18, I'm like, oh, we need to not be putting kids on diets. Like, let's cut this out. I also think it's interesting because it sounds like your mom um, really stayed within her set point for a lot of her life. For those listening, like set point really means this sort of like 15, 10 to 15, maybe 20 pound range that you can fluctuate within really easily. So if you first go on a diet and you notice that you drop like five pounds, like nothing and you're feeling great, that sort of euphoria comes in. Um, and then it stops that plateau that we're taught to push through and like, you know, here's how to hack your plateau. Like that plateau is your body's limit. Like it's done. It's done <laughs> losing weight. And people's bodies are different. Set point changes um, depending on diseases or whatever it is. But like sometimes we get a really false narrative in our head about our own body's ability to change, lose weight or whatever it is um, because that because of that set point because of that like um someone's is going to be a little bit different than someone else's but you know we're not really designed to lose any more weight than that and that can really cause issues when we start telling ourselves a false story about why that is there is in your heart and it's growing were there times when you've gained weight from stress or mm-hmm. from changes? Mm-hmm. When I felt lonely, often I eat too much. Really? Mm-hmm. And it's hard when that happens. It's harder to motivate. I've been pretty good about doing some form of exercise, although you wouldn't describe me as athletic. <laughs> but I usually try to do something every day. But when I feel that way, it's harder to get myself up and moving. It's easier to eat. It seems better to eat at those moments. What's that been like when that's happened? How did you feel? Self-critical, like I'm an idiot, and why don't I have more self-discipline? And It's not that hard to be disciplined, so why do I not do it? All of that kind of thing. But now that you listen to my podcast, do you think that's not true? Your podcast is very helpful. One of the things that we're learning about the gut is that most of your body's serotonin is produced in the gut and not in the brain. Mm -hmm. So about 90% of our body's serotonin is produced in the gut. And we're seeing really high correlations between anxiety and gut issues, gut disorders. Yeah. Um, And I've found that with my clients in particular, the two kind of go hand in hand. So the way that you're digesting nutrients, the way that you're um, just the way that your whole digestive system is working changes depending on how their mental health is. And that's going to have a lot of different effects. I think there's also a lot we still have to learn about it because our understanding of depression and anxiety has changed so dramatically in just in the past like few decades with the development of all these new medications and understanding how the gut plays a role. And we're really starting to learn that I mean, I thought this was obvious, but we're really starting to learn that like the body is very like a holistic 
organism, you know, it's like, we're we're like, everything works together. Shocker. So people who have spent their entire careers studying just the brain without thinking about anything else in the body. Now we're starting to learn like, okay, here are all these other things that are going on. And here's all these other factors that are influencing it. And it's kind of, for a lot of people, just this trial and error process with their providers of like understanding, you know, if you make these little changes, what happens? And are, do you have nutritional deficiencies? Like, you know, it's just, there's so much going on there. But do you feel that it may be affected times when I was struggling with weight stuff that I had a different kind of body than you? I don't think so. That's not to say I didn't get frustrated because I felt like I was supposed to solve it for you. And I wanted to. And I couldn't. It had to be your your thing. Mm-hmm. Well, the doctors wanted me to be thin and I didn't need to be thin. Uh-huh. Well, and I grew up in a time when you listened to the doctors, you know, and I did listen to the doctors. Yeah, but I'm saying they wanted me to do something that was kind of impossible. I felt very, like, alone because I felt like you didn't go through the same thing I did. Yeah, I understand that. And I didn't go through the same thing. When you start dieting and start getting put on diets or suggested to diet at a very young age, um, you're much more likely to have like very intense weight fluctuations and um your your just your range of weights is gonna is much more likely like you have a higher risk of weight cycling and you have a higher risk of um having your body image really dependent on where your weight is and all of these things that we see with as a result of dieting that's so funny because what i'm hearing you say is like actually my body did behave as predicted or like as normal for what was happening to it, even though my sense was totally the opposite. Yeah, totally. And, and people just didn't understand that. And people still don't understand that on a general scale. But, um, when, when you really look at the research about what dieting predicts and what restrained eating, that's what it is often called in research, um, predicts, it's not this sort of like, oh, you know, dieting is associated with weight loss. Like, no, that's actually not true at all. And in fact, a lot of what has been called this sort of weight epidemic, not going to say the word, but like um, weight epidemic, it really is very interestingly um, <laughs> kind of increases over time as the diet industry increases and takes off over time. We've been through a lot of changes. <laughs> yes, we have. Change is sometimes good. Mm-hmm. So what have we come to at the end of all this? The world wants us to think that controlling your body will lead to controlling your life, and you're a failure if you don't. And change is scary and bad and something that happens to you if you don't happen to it. But you know what? Being able to control my body did not make me a failure, even if I felt like it did sometimes. So if I'm unable to do everything I would ever want to do with this season, if this change is a little out of my control, 
and all I can do is try things and experiment and maybe fail, it's okay to give up some of that yearning for control. I'm going to try my hardest this season to be in a floating space, to be patient with myself and to be curious about what's to come and to take the things I've learned to do when I think about how I've applied body positivity and fat positivity to myself, which is look at myself with compassion, look at the things that have happened in my life and think, wow, I put so much pressure on myself and I really didn't need to (laughs) and apply that to other things. Because I kind of have a sneaking suspicion that for me and for probably others in the family, feeling a need to control things is based in this diet culture bullshit. And um, we don't really need to control everything. Change is natural. Change is neutral. Change can be good. Now that I have this new framework of body positivity for my body, the one where I look at my body with compassion, I need to work on looking at more about myself with compassion because unfortunately I'm not in control of everything and I don't rule the world yet. So clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. I'm a smart, strong, sensual woman. The truth is out there. Wheels up in 20. Welcome to the OC, bitch. Thank you for talking with me about changes. You're welcome. I love you, Mom. I love you, too. You're the best. You're the best. No, you're the best. You're the best. <laughs> you can find Whitney Catalano at Trust Your Body Project on Instagram and tune into her podcast, Trust Your Body Project. And now it's time to ask a fatty. If you want advice, you can send a voice memo of yourself asking a question to fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. You record it on your computer or the voice memo app on your iPhone. Just keep it short, about one minute max. Or if you're shy, you can send us a plain old email at fyi at she'sallfatpod.com and we might answer your question right here on the show. This season on Ask a Fatty, we are going to have rotating guests come in and answer questions with me since April's taking her time off, much deserved. So this week, we have our one and only incredible senior producer at She's All Fat, Maria Wirtel, here to answer questions with us. Hi, Maria. Hi, Sophie. Thanks for doing this. I'm excited. I never got to be on this side of things, and I love our Hannahs, so I want to (laughs) help. So we have two questions we're going to answer here. And then if y'all are interested in hearing Maria and I answer more questions, you can get um, a, about a 15-minute mini-sode every week if you're part of Team I Love Bread on our Patreon. Um, so head on over there after this episode if you want to hear more. So Maria, the listeners want to know, what's your favorite snack? <laughs> I hate this question because I love every (laughs) snack. (laughs) 
Wow. I love what you're... <laughs> I love every curvy snack. All <laughs> snacks are beautiful. <laughs> I I mean, I just kind of cheated and said, like, any... Give me any chip, any... Really any vessel for dips. Yeah. You know? Give me hummus. Give me, like... What's your favorite kind of hummus? Ooh. I really like, like, spicy, like, jalapeno hummus or, like... Oh, my gosh. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like uh, garlic hummus mm-hmm. or... The, what kind is it? Like the kind that has like more pine nuts than usual, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, again, I'm like the least picky person I know. Um, The only thing is like, I literally, I just don't eat meat. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But I will eat anything else, um, even if like my stomach doesn't want me to because (laughs) issues. (laughs) What kind of salsa do you like? What's your favorite salsas? I like those, like, that are almost just, like, pico de gallo, you know? It's just, like, chopped up, like, tomatoes, onions, cilantro, lots of lime. Yeah. Yeah. And guac, of course. Of course. Um, That's, like, you know, I didn't even feel the need to mention that. That's a given. (laughs) Do you like nachos? Are you a nachos person? I love nachos. I love making my own nachos. You just, like, buy a bunch of tortilla chips, like, put some cheese, some, like, black beans, put it in the oven, broil it for like a few minutes, and then you add all the toppings like sour cream and guac and jalapenos and salsa. Mm. Yum. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on to another question. Uh, Send us your your dip, your dip recommendations, everyone. Mm -hmm. We love, we love some good dips. Um, Okay, so Here's an email we got. It says, hello from Scotland. I have a question for the Ask a Fatty section. As a person currently in a thin body, how can I help to reclaim the word fat? I have been educating myself a lot around body acceptance, fat acceptance, health at every size, etc. And in my own mind, I have been working on neutralizing fat as a purely descriptive word. However, I know that most people don't see it this way. And if I describe someone as fat, they might be offended. Any advice, please? Thanks. Thank you, Scottish Hannah. Um, Thank you for this question. This is a great question. This is like a perfect question to have our first guest ask a fatty person on because uh, I never mind helping like our Hannahs or my friends who are thin, but I can only speak to the perspective of a thin person like in memory, but it can get tiring a little bit to be like, hey, thin people, please do this. So it's nice to have Maria here to help answer this question. Um, because when I came to body acceptance and fat acceptance, I was already fat. And so I don't know what the experience of coming to body acceptance as a thin person would be. And honestly, you should give yourself a lot of credit for doing that because I came to fat acceptance because I felt pushed to my limit in how bad I felt about myself. And I think it takes a lot of self-examination when you're experiencing a privilege to, be able to acknowledge that and try to reframe your thinking. So I just want to say thank you for doing that. And thank you to our other thin and straight size Hannah's who are doing that. I know there's a bunch of you. Okay. Maria, what do you think of this question? Well, first of all, I just want to say like, that's such a good, but hard question to answer. So I'm going to do my best. This is my best take on it, but who knows, maybe like a year from now, I I will have something better to say. Oh, that's my constant hope is that a year from now, I'll have something better to Mm -hmm, say. mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's definitely hard because you never really know how other people are going to react and you don't really know like where they are in like 
body positivity and like fat acceptance and all of that. I would say like you're right about doing the work to separate whatever emotional response you have to the word fat. Um, but <laughs> sadly, most people aren't doing that. So I really just try to be as direct as possible. Um, I don't know, like you really just want to avoid doing anything weird. Like I hate when people are like, oh, you know, like she's fat or like stuff yeah. like that. It's like, you know, we don't have to like whisper the word fat. We don't have to like do any weird like hand gestures or like any weird euphemisms about like fat. I just try to be as direct as possible, but I actively also like code switch around people too, because I know sometimes just saying fat, like someone's going to like gasp or like give me a weird look, even though like you and I might know that like fat is just fat and it's just a descriptor. There are so many people who still like will act weirdly when you say that. You know, with someone who's straight size, I would probably just say like smaller or thin. So when I'm talking about someone who's fat, I'm gonna probably just say like bigger or plus size if I feel like the word fat is gonna get some kind of like weird reaction. Those are like the only words I'll really switch it out for. That's what I do too, honestly. The things you can do to kind of like hat tip your your feelings um, are to just do what Maria said and like say bigger or plus size with direct eye contact without flinching, without acting like it's a euphemism, without trying to talk around something. There's just not that many situations I could think of where you would be talking about someone's body to them and like not be sure where they stood on this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause otherwise I'm like, why are you talking about their body? That'd be weird. Mm-hmm. If you're in a conversation with someone like, in a yoga class or something and you're like, Oh, um, like I love your yoga pants. Like my friend is also plus size. Can I ask you where you got them? Cause I want to recommend them to her. I think that would be fine. You know, plus size is a pretty safe descriptor, but really the way you're going to tell that person that you're a safe person to talk to is through making direct eye contact, smiling, not being freaking weird, you know, <laughs> just exactly. like you said. It's like, can you imagine like being like, I have a fat friend also. Yes. It's like, you know, it's like, <laughs> just be normal about it. Um, well, people do that to me when they find out about the podcast, they'll be like, <laughs> they'll say that kind of thing. And I'll just be like, Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know? Yeah. yeah. You can't really like tell fat people to feel joyful about the word fat as a thin person. But what you can do is be like, hey, other thin people, like stop using fat as a negative word. Like, Absolutely. And and it can very easily get into performativity. Like that's how that's half the problem with white feminism shit. Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, I'm not racist. It's like you don't need to go around and be like, I love fat people. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, yeah. There are so many examples, but it's like you just be normal. <laughs> this is like the most shit answer. It's like, just be normal about it. <laughs> um, yeah. Has there been a time when you've been around another straight size person um, and like gently corrected them on this kind of thing? Oh, absolutely. And like, you know, with my closest friends, I'm not that gentle. <laughs> um, Can you talk about that a little? That might be helpful for this. Yeah, to definitely. Hear. Like I would say like 95% of my really close friends, like know that, this is something I care about. And as I've learned, I've like nudged them and been like, Hey, like this is like a thing and you should learn more about this. And I feel like a lot of people in my direct life are like pretty down with body positivity, but you know, people slip up and some of my close, like one of my closest friends one time was like, I feel fat. And I was like, 
you feel fat or like you feel that your clothes are fitting you differently or that you are bloated or like what and she was like you know what I mean I was like I don't like fat is like not a feeling and you can say that you feel uncomfortable that your clothes aren't fitting the same way she wanted to be like you do know what I mean but I was challenging her on that and I think there have been other moments where somebody has been like well okay like what do you mean like what are you trying to say and then I'll explain like you know like fat is not a feeling fat is not a bad thing I don't know it's like I'm I'm like halfway saying like don't you don't have to like necessarily feel bad about feeling differently or like your clothes yeah. fitting differently but also like you don't need to like like you don't need to put this negativity on like being fat either yeah yeah. yeah, I think when people make the connection that when they say I feel fat, they are saying I feel bad mm-hmm. and therefore equating fat and bad, exactly. I think that can help. But like until people are willing to recognize that what they're saying is fat equals bad and I feel bad, um, then there's like not much to – I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Even that kind of gentle pushback can like really help just like start someone's thought process because I know I've said many <laughs> – wrong things in the past and it took a couple iterations of people being like oh maybe don't say that you know what I mean like and that's okay you know everyone is on their own path or whatever yeah and you and you have to know that like they will be uncomfortable because you're like questioning their their standards and like their way of thinking so I would say like most people are going to be quick to just like try to defend themselves and I found like as long as you stay like pretty like neutral about it they'll just kind of realize they're being kind of silly and yeah yeah or at the very least they will recognize that you're not a person they can be negative about that people around which has its own value yep um yeah so basically I think in general what we're saying is like just like any other kind of privilege marginalization intersection it's like most useful for you to do the work with other straight-sized people, other people who have the privilege of not being called fat and less useful for you to be like, hi, fat person, like, I love your fatness because that would be weird. That would be Um, so weird. (laughs) But if you think someone might be offended if you say fat, then, like, just say bigger or just say plus size and just convey through your attitude that you don't think differently of them or you don't think less of them, I think is the best thing you can do. Um, but we have some more questions to answer and some, uh, material that was cut out of this answer too, cause we spent a long time discussing it. That's going to be in the, I love bread Patreon extra this week. So if you want some more, ask a fatty head on over to patreon.com slash she's all fat pod. Um, Maria, we got to move on in the app. Thank you so much for being here with me. I love you. You're the best producer editor in the world. You keep me sane. Uh, we're constantly <laughs> telling you to fix it in post and you always do. Well, thanks for having me on. And it was great to be a part of helping some Hannah's. Yay. Bye Hannah's. Bye Hannah's. That was fun to revisit. Special shout out to Maria Wirtel for co-producing and editing this original episode. We love you, Maria. Love you, Maria. Bye, friends. Bye. She's All Fat was created by me, Sophie Carter-Kahn, and April K. Quio, who graduated. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she's all fat pod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. 
please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super important in making sure people find the show so we can grow the family. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions at fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 213-375-5023 and we might even play it on the pod. Our episode ads are done in partnership with Acast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, you can get started at acast.com. Our theme music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish and our logo is by Hannah Sanger. Lynn Barbera co-produced and edited this episode. Yelly Cruz is our magical junior producer. Our thin crony forever is Maria Vertel. I'm our host and co-producer. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at She's All Fat Pod. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Stay safe. We love you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.